Amen. As you find your seats, we're going to dive straight into the Word today. And I, I'm excited. If you've got a Bible with you, it's okay to use your phone as well. Go ahead and open up to Acts uh, chapter 9. We're going to jump around a little bit today and, and read a lot of Scripture. Um, tell, tell the person next to you real quick, say you, you picked a good seat because you're sitting next to me, okay? <laughs> even if you lied to them, okay? And even if you lied... Uh, we've been having a lot of fun in the book of Acts, and, and uh, if you have missed a weekend or two, I encourage you to go back on YouTube. Uh, you can search NLC Fayetteville, and you can see some of the messages that we've had over the last, I think it's like 10 weeks or so. Um, today is going to be a different type of Sunday, and I hope that's okay. It's going to be one of uh, a lot of reflection and uh, thinking about what God has done in our lives, and my prayer and Andrew's prayer, our staff's prayer, is that you would be filled uh, with hope as you leave this place today. Because, uh, man, I, I was reminded last night, me and Andrew were sitting back in the office just kind of getting ready for today. And, and I was reminded that I gave my life to Jesus this weekend 11 years ago. And I was like, dude, how do you forget something like that? Like, and I, it's like this funny moment. He was like, yeah, Seth, that's a pretty big deal. You know, you probably should remember that. And uh, I started living for the Lord. I was so far from God before that. And I, and I want to do this real quick. She's going to be so mad at me, but my grandma's here. Mama, would you stand up? Would, I know you're in here. Don't, yeah, yeah, you're short, but we can see you back there, okay? Would y'all give it up for my grandma? Love this lady so much. I was going to bring her on stage, but my wife reminded me she would probably kill me. So um, she's small and mighty. Um, I am living in my grandma's prayers, the fruit of my grandma's prayers. And I just want to say thank you for praying for me, even when you couldn't see the fruit. A lot of this today, you're going to agree with it because you were there and you saw it, okay? Um, I, I was addicted to alcohol and drugs and people's approval and pornography and and toxic relationships, and, and, and my, my mouth was filthy. Like, I mean, it was, it was so bad, and, and I was building my own little kingdom. Life was all about me. Anybody ever been there before? It was, it was all about me, and, and, and I just wanted what was best for me. I was a thief. If you've heard my story, I used to steal for years, every day. And God came in and radically changed my life. I, I didn't want anything to do with the Heavenly Father because I had so much anger towards my earthly father, I, I radically encountered the grace of God 11 years ago. And everyone here today, if we were to be honest, you got some BC days, okay? Would y'all agree? BC means before Christ, like before Jesus got involved. Raise your hand if you got some BC days. Okay, if your hand's not raised, we got an altar call just for you at the end of service, all right? It's called Lion in Church. Um, we all got days before we started living for God. I, I believe that there's people here today, maybe you have not put faith in Jesus. My prayer is that this would be for you today. We, we all have a past. Can I get an Amen. We all have a present and we all have a future and, and we've all made mistakes. The Bible says that, that we've all fallen short, right? We've all fallen short. We've all sinned and we put faith in a perfect savior. We have this in common. Turn to the person next to you and say, I bet you sin more than I do, okay? If you just told a stranger that, that's uncomfortable, all right? Someone said, you're right. I heard that in the back. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Okay, so today I want to introduce to you a, a biblical character. He's dynamic uh, from the Bible, from the New Testament. He is the chief of sinners, and, and, and he's known to be one of the most important figures in the New Testament after the life 
of Jesus. He was a dangerous man. And, and he was on a mission to destroy the early church. And, and we've spent about 10 weeks talking about this early church that uh, Paul was on a mission, Saul uh, was, was on a mission to destroy. How many of you would agree that Saul had a little bit of a testimony, okay? Um, it's impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible to hear this today and to think you are too far gone to be used by God. And I'm going to say it again. It is impossible to hear the radical conversion of Saul to Paul and think that you have sinned too much, said too much, and gone too far to be used and transformed by God's grace. And so if you've already written everything off, just open your ears, all right? Because there's good news for you today. I've learned in the last 11 years of walking with Jesus, when it comes to witnessing to somebody and sharing the hope of, of Jesus, it is so vital to understand their past. It is so important to understand what they came from, what they've walked through, how they were raised. Are y'all with me? Like, it's so important to be able to relate to that. And, and so we're going to take a little stroll down memory lane this morning in the life of Saul. And, uh, and, and we're going to learn about him and how he grew up and I just want to kind of set the tone before we dive into chapter 9. Saul, his name literally means the destroyer. Write that down. His name means the destroyer, and he was born in Tarsus. He, he had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He was, the, he was like the lead Jew. He was, he, was, uh, he was a pretty big deal at this time. He was also a Roman citizen, and I'm going to give you some background, and then we're going to dive into the text. The, the Roman officials, uh, his, by the Roman government, his name was Paul. A lot of people think that he, he transformed from Saul to Paul. He had both names the whole time, just so you know. He started walking in his calling and started adopting the name of Paul, which actually means small. Paul didn't want to be small. Saul didn't want to be small. He wanted to be mighty and he wanted to be known. He wanted his name to be known and he wanted some recognition. And so he goes by the name of Saul, which is actually uh, a former king of Israel. And he was everything but small. In, in the New Testament, the, the Saul that we're talking about in this text, he, he wanted to be kind of like this other guy a little bit. I see some similarities. And in, in Saul's mind, uh, when when you have like the lead teacher teaching you, his teacher, the guy he learned religion from, the guy that he learned the Bible from, it was Gamaliel. Gamaliel, we talked about a few weeks ago, he tells the apostles and he tells all the religious leaders, he says, hey, by the way, if what these guys are doing is of man, it will fail. Do y'all remember this? But what, if what they're doing is from God, you will find yourselves fighting against who? God. And so Gamaliel was his teacher. This was like, this was the guy he looked to, and he actually supersedes him. And uh, we see this, and I'm going to kind of talk a little bit more about that um, later on today. Saul was proud uh, of the name that he was about to live up to, and his name was becoming known among all the people in this time. And then there was a new name. Everybody say a new name. There was a new name that was coming onto the scene, and he was a new rabbi, and his name is Jesus. Now, this, this new rabbi that everybody was talking about, he was almost the same age as him, and he, he already had men following him everywhere. He had a group of disciples. There were hundreds of men rallying around him, and, and some called him a prophet. Some said he's the Messiah, and a few even worshiped him like he was God. I want to kind of paint the picture of who this Saul guy is. This was blasphemy in Saul's eyes. 
He was like, this, there's no way that this Jesus could be who he says that he is. He, he's a nobody from a, a, a town that means nothing called uh, Nazareth. And, and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. This is his perspective. Saul begins to be filled with jealousy. Honestly, in my perspective, bitterness and anger and frustration towards Jesus. And Saul, along many other religious people, just wanted Jesus to go away. He just wanted him to disappear and to die because he was causing problems in the church. Are y'all tracking with me? Like, Jesus is causing problems in the church, which it's so interesting how religious people can see Jesus that way. I just want to be comfortable and stay to the way it's always been. And, and Jesus comes and disrupts a few things in their mindset. And he starts healing people. He's claiming to be God. He's casting out demons. He's... Blind people are now seeing, deaf people can now hear, and mutes are now speaking. He's multiplying food. He's providing slim chickens for the thousands, okay? Or for some of you, Chick-fil-A. Like, he, he is feeding people, and, and he's happy, and he's joyful, and all that they are set out to do is to stop this thing called Christianity. Followers of the way. And so some of Saul's friends, in, in my perspective, they... They actually made this happen. They made contact with one of Jesus' disciples. His name is Judas. And they start working. The religious leaders start working. The Roman government starts working with this guy to, to turn over Jesus into their hands and to betray his, his master. So Jesus gets handed over to be killed and, and crucified as a, as a criminal, but really he was falsely accused. So they begin to inflict the maximum amount of pain on Jesus, humiliation onto Jesus, yelling and spitting and cursing and beating and so much unbearable pain. Just to paint the picture, he was whipped with whips made of bone and leather. He was, he, a crown of thorns was shoved onto his head to mock him because he says he's the king of kings. And then they marched him through the city up a hill to be nailed to a cross. As the nails entered his hands and the nails entered into his feet, he's hanging on a cross for all of the world to see on this mountain, and he was falsely accused. He was beaten to a pulp, and he hung on a cross, humiliated in front of the world. And these, re these religious men at this time, I'm sure that they thought, well, if this guy is really God, then surely he can rescue himself. If this guy is really who he says he is, he could take himself off of this cross that we've hung him on. This man must not be who he says he is. This man is just a man. And they said, this must be a false prophet. But a few days after, we know how the story ends, right? He was buried in, in a tomb, and three days later, we know that he rose. And so the whispers begin to fill the city. I'm just painting the picture so you could see the importance of Saul's conversion. People are talking. People are saying, hey, I saw Jesus. He's back. He's not dead like y'all think he is. He's actually alive. He's walking around. Groups begin to, to gather into homes. And people begin to have stories of having this interaction with this Messiah. People start getting baptized in the name of Jesus, this man. And, and I'm sure that Saul is like, y'all, the, these people call themselves followers of the way. What even is this way? And in Saul's eyes, this was the way to death. And so at this point, Saul made it his mission to stop this nonsense. 
And if you associate yourself with this man named Jesus and you call yourself a follower of the way, you will be put into prison and potentially put to death. Day after day, we know as we go into chapter 8 and 9 that the church is growing, right? Because opposition is an opportunity, and it's an opportunity for God to move. The church is is flourishing. It's multiplying. The fire has broken out everywhere. But as the church was growing, at this point, so was persecution. There were lots of Christians being thrown into prison, and they were being beaten and humiliated in front of everyone. And Saul approved of all of this. But there was one man that stood out to Saul. There was, a, there was a man that we talked about last week. His name is Stephen, and Stephen had quite the reputation. Do y'all remember Stephen? Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was stoned for his faith, and with every rock thrown at him, an insult that was hurled at him, he was a man full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, faith, grace, honor, power, and he was falsely accused for four counts of blasphemy. Stephen preaches this sermon and it's a great sermon, and I'm sure that Paul, Saul agreed with most of it until he mentions the name of Jesus. He mentions the name of Jesus, and then Stephen points at the religious leaders. Remember, Saul is on the scene. Are y'all tracking with me? Last week, Saul is present, and the men that were actually throwing rocks at Saul laid their coats at the feet of Saul, and, and then he begins to say, Stephen says, you guys are guilty of this man's blood. You killed the Messiah. You are stiff-necked people. You resist the Holy Spirit. You, you've received the law, but you don't obey it. Y'all, we, we talked about this last week. And he begins to model what we know is truth and grace. Because as he took his last breaths on the cross, he's forgiving those who killed him. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They they gnashed their teeth. It's like a chihuahua that has not had Taco Bell, okay? Like just gnashing their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, heaven opens, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And it says they covered their ears, they covered their eyes, and they drug him through the city, and they, they beat him to a pulp. And, and as the rocks are being thrown, Stephen is saying, Lord, would you forgive these men for they know not what they do? I, I bet when Saul heard that, he's like, I, I think I've heard this before. Isn't that similar to what Jesus said on the cross? This is almost a, a direct representation of the gospel. And, and, and Jesus, it's almost like a, a mere image of what happened in the time before. So in the back of Saul's mind, he's, he's probably thinking, these people are crazy. These people are like Jesus freaks, and we see because of the death of Stephen that his pain had a purpose, and we see that all of the all the believers they scattered. The the believers they scatter and they go to Judea and Samaria, and we know that at this point the Great Commission begins. They start sharing their faith, and it says in the Great Commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded of you. And by the way, I'm going to be with you is what God says. And so the, the gospel is, is spreading, and, and, and the message goes from the neighborhood to the nations, and his pain served a purpose. Great persecution broke out. And who approved of all of it? Saul. 
Verse 8 says that there was great joy in that city as the gospel was shared. There was great joy in the hearts of Christians, but I can tell you today with confidence there was great anger in the heart of Saul. Saul begins to live up to his name at this point, going into chapter 9, the the destroyer, and he begins to destroy the church. We're going to fast forward about three years into chapter 9. And over those three years, many Christians were persecuted. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to read uh, chapter 9, the beginning of it. I don't know how far we're going to get into it. I'm going to go until our time runs out today. We're gonna, you need to know this before we read this text. I've got to tell you this. There's three things that we have to do today. Actually, there's three things that we need to stop doing. Okay? Are you all tracking with me? I want you to write these down. This is a lens that I want you to see the world through before we dive into this text because this is so important. I want you to write this down. Number one, today I will stop expecting non-believers to act as if they believe. I will stop expecting non-believers to act as if they believe. When I realize that I have to stop holding people to a standard that they don't know exists for them, (laughs) it changed my world. And with that, we have to live like we do believe. Are you all with me? So we need to stop expecting non-believers to act as if they believe. Number two, we need to stop judging people because they sin differently than we do. And I know if you got your toes out, just tuck them in. I'm going to step on some toes today. We need to stop judging other people because they sin differently than you. We are all sinners that desperately need the grace of God. And this is a church where you don't have to behave to belong. You can come in as you are because that's right where God will meet you. We have to stop doing this. Y'all, I'm just telling you, religious people hate this one. Just because someone sins differently than you does not make God love them less. It means the church should embrace them even more. But here's the thing. A lot of people think because you embrace someone, you agree with them. That is not the truth. You can embrace someone without approving of their sin. You can hate the sin and still love the sinner. Now, if you're in here and you're like, I don't agree. Well, you could take it up with Jesus. It's just not possible. Tell God. He did a pretty good job. We're talking about him today. Number three, I'll stop pointing out the lost and I'm going to start pointing them to Jesus. Stop pointing at them and start saying, hey, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, hey, I know the way to the Savior. There's a better way for you. And I'm going to love you, and I'm going to serve you every step of the way. we got to stop doing these things. That's just, just some uh, freebies before we get into Acts 9. <laughs> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murder, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters, permission to the synagogues in Damascus, and so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Whether men or women, he he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I want you to write this down. God met Saul in the middle of disobedience. He, He met him right in the middle of disobedience. He was on his way to persecute the church. Saul didn't have time to clean himself up and get righteous and holy before God. He couldn't pull himself up by his bootstraps and pull his life together. No, God sent him to his knees in one moment. And God can do the same thing for you today. He was on his way to persecute the church and 
He's on his knees, and I, I bet you guys the last thing Saul thought would happen that day was this. <laughs> Isn't it really interesting that what Saul was passionately trying to stop from spreading, he became responsible for spreading it? Suddenly. Man, circle that in your Bible. Immediately, some translations say, all God needs is one moment with you, and he can change the trajectory of your life forever. What we think may take decades, God says, I could do it in seconds. I just need you to surrender. And what the enemy intends for bad, God always uses for good. We've heard this before, but we see it in Acts because the apostles get thrown into jail. What happens? Thousands of people come to know Jesus. Ananias and old Sappy, right, they start faking church. They bring half the, the, the giving to the storehouse. And, and what happens is it brings the church closer in unity after they died. What about the disagreement of widows? The deacons were put in place and empowered, and more come to know Jesus. It said the church began to grow all the more. Opposition, Stephen is murdered for his faith, and it begins to spread the gospel where? To all nations, the Great Commission. I would say it this way. Stephen's death, in my per- this is my perspective, I think his death, And his faith was the doorstop that cracked open the the door of Saul's heart for the gospel to enter into. I think as Saul was watching this unfold that day, he's thinking there's something different about this cat. This dude is not only preaching the truth, but he's forgiving the people who are killing him. I haven't seen this since Jesus. And Stephen dies this death and never sees the fruit of his obedience, and we get to see it today. Saul's number one goal was to put out the flame of all Christians. And and Paul's life ends up being the gasoline for the gospel. Lighting the world on fire for all to see. I want to ask you today, is the Lord trying to meet you in the middle of your disobedience? My, My answer would be yes. Unapologetically, like he wants to meet you right in the middle of your sin today, in the middle of your disobedience today. And I just want to encourage you, stop running. He he wants to meet you here, right here today. And then Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I want to ask you to reflect today. Where was it that God met you? You see, when you think about what God saved you from, it's really easy to see other people the way that God sees them. Where did he meet you? Where, where did he rescue? What did he rescue you from? Who did he help you? Who, who did he help use along the way to follow him? And, and where would you be today without Jesus? We can never forget the power of God's grace in our life. And, and I know this, that many of us today would label Saul as like, like he's too far gone. We see Saul, we're like, that dude's damaged goods. He's too messed up. I want, you to, I want you to think about the person that you see. Maybe it's on the news or for some, I'm not going to get political, but some of you believe candidates or whatever. You think that person could never be reached by the power of God, and I'm telling you, they can. This, this whole story is a picture of the power of God's grace and the power of God's love. Saul was not unreachable. He was reached. Be careful of labeling and writing off somebody that God named and created with his own hands. Be very careful of labeling people. Be very careful of writing people off and stiff-arming them because they sin differently than you do. Just because you are in the middle of sin today does not mean you have to stay there. 
And I think that God is, is encouraging some people today. Verse five says, this is, this is Saul talking, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, everybody say get up. I love that God immediately calls him to action. Some of y'all think, oh, we need to give them like two years to make sure they're really like actually following Jesus. No, he gets up and he goes to work. God saves his life and he sends him on a mission to go spread the gospel. Get up, go into the city, and then you're going to be told what you must do. I love that. And then the men traveling with Saul, I, I circled this because we don't know much about these men traveling with Saul. All I know is they saw all this unfold and then they had to go somewhere and just think about it. <laughs> the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone, confused, probably scared. I'd be scared. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. I think the best thing that could happen to some people today is that you're blinded by the light. <laughs> that you, you get blinded to the world around you for a season, and all you can see is God. He, he can't see anything, and so they led him by hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind. And he did not eat or drink anything. Why was he blinded for three days? This is a really good question. I'm convinced that his entire life was lived by sight. I'm convinced that Saul, his entire life was lived by the law, what he could tangibly see and what he could believe in and what's in front of his eyes. But, but the Lord knew that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so maybe if I could cause this guy to not see, then maybe he could see what I want him to see. And I just, man, as I was praying for you guys this morning and last night, this week, I've been wrestling with this text all, all week. I believe that some people's eyes are being opened to Jesus today. I believe people are getting saved from all across the world. They're, they're, Jesus, God is appearing to people in their sleep, in their dreams, seeing visions, and God is revealing himself. I spoke with a man two weeks ago. He was about to take his life, and the Lord spoke to him, don't do it. Has a different belief system than I do, and he said, who was that? I said, that was God, because he's got a plan for your life, and the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing he's put in your life, and so his only way to get rid of you is taking you out. Thank God you didn't do it. There's more. It says in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, verse 10, the Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. This is what we read earlier on Straight Street, on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest, permission to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I don't have time to unpack everything with Ananias, but I'll tell you this. Some of you in this room, that's you. And God is wanting to use you to help reach someone who is so far from him. He's wanting to use your life and your obedience in your faith to help lead someone else to him. 
But maybe you've been writing off and saying, well, that guy's too far, that girl's too far gone, or that family member's unreachable. No, there's, there's, there's hope. And then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. And he, he said, brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road to Damascus as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, here it is again, say that, immediately. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could not, or he could see again. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I've been praying for today. Me and Andrew have been praying for today. And this is, we're, we're going to end service a little differently. There's going to be a time of reflection for you. And you could sit or stand or do whatever. I want you to think about God's grace in your life today. And the weight of the cross we were talking last night, and, and Andrew was like, dude, I just think we forget about the power of the gospel. That the power of the gospel is what transforms a life. The power of Jesus transforms a life. Scales fell off of his eyes and off of his ears and off of his heart, and, and he, he could see again. He, he could feel for the first time. His heart was open to the things of God. I've been talking with so many people who are on the fence about Jesus. Some of them, you're sitting in this room today, and I'm so glad you're here. I love you, and I am so proud of you, and I believe God is revealing himself to you. There are people from the University of Arkansas coming here from different backgrounds and religions, people practicing other, entire, other belief systems. I talked with a man this week. He turned his life from this new age spirituality to Jesus. Jesus, the power of the gospel to save. This is the power of God. So why in the world do we limit it? Why don't we embrace it and be empowered by it? He encounters Jesus. He's, he's sent to his knees and he's led by the spirit. What happens in a few seconds you think takes decades? He's on his knees, turns from his ways. He's filled with the spirit his eyes are opened and then he gets baptized some of you in this room i'm gonna say this we got baptisms next sunday we're about to turn up people going public with their faith some of you you've made a decision for jesus and you've been hiding it would you be bold enough to go public with it baptism is a is an outward expression of an inward decision for the world to see what you believe one of the most powerful moments when I got baptized. Uh, it's like everything was, there's nothing special about that water. It was actually pretty nasty, but everything was washed away. I talked with a young man a few weeks ago and he said, Seth, something happened in me that day. You were filled with the spirit of God. It's like, it's like I'm a new person. I said, you are a new person. It's like I have a new heart. You do have a new heart. God created in you a new heart, a clean heart. This is the power of the gospel. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I, I, you can't hear this and not get excited about God. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. And this is what they asked, because you will have some haters. Can I get an amen? This is what they asked. They said, isn't this the man who was raising havoc, push up the glasses in Jerusalem? among those who call on his name and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners? There's, a, there's always gonna be a critic. 
There's always going to be someone in your life that reminds you of what you used to be and where you came from. But I can tell you there's good news about sharing your testimony because you got nothing to hide. There's power in it. There's authority in it that we overcome the enemy by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. I'll share it and I'll scream it from the rooftops. And who cares about what anybody else has to say? Last night I was talking with Andrew. I told you earlier. This is what Andrew said. He said, Seth, we have gotten so comfortable with the gospel that we have forgotten the power of it. That we've written off what God can do in the lives of other people. Question, who have you labeled as unreachable? This This isn't for the person you brought. This is for you. Who have you labeled as unreachable? Unteachable. There's no way they could be saved. And would you be bold enough to pray for them today? There's names coming to mind right now. Would you, would you pray for them? Every saint has a past and we know that every sinner has a what? A future. And I believe when you turn your life to Jesus, that future is far more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. As we get ready to close this service, I wanna tell you in three days, God radically changed Saul's life. Are y'all thankful for the grace of God this morning? In three days, he goes from this broke down, messed up religious leader who wanted to kill Jesus, wanted to kill the apostles, wanted to persecute the church, and now he is the gasoline for the fire of the gospel. The world gets lit on fire. Paul goes on to write a, a chunk of the New Testament, and I wrote down a few of these thoughts. These are all from the heart of Paul. For every person whose heart is closed off to God, Paul wrote something just for you in Ephesians 1. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those who he has called his holy people who are rich and glorious in inheritance, Ephesians 1. For the person who has gotten tired in doing good, Paul wrote in Ephesians as well, this is what he says, let us not become weary in doing good, For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if what? If we don't give up. For every person this morning who refuses to believe it until you see it, Paul wrote something too for you. He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. There's a reason he couldn't see for three days. For every person struggling with anxiety and stress, Paul wrote, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. For every person feeling empty and void, Paul prayed this in Romans 15, may the God of of hope fill you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Anybody need some joy? Y'all need joy? Some of y'all looking at me like y'all mad at the world. You need some joy. It's to fill you with peace as you trust in him so that you would overflow with the Holy Spirit. For every person in this room, as we gear up for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you need some boldness in your spirit to present the gospel to the family member far from God, this is what he says. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, that words may be given to me so that I would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. For, for, for all of you today that you have forgotten about your calling, I came to remind you today. And Paul wrote this. He said this. He said, I thank Jesus who's given me strength, that he considered me faithful 
appointing me to his service. Would you not forget today? Would we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith? This week as we have dug through this passage and I was like, what do I talk about? There's so much to talk about with Saul. And I just felt like the Lord said, he said, talk about where he started and talk about where he ended up. <laughs> talk about where he started and where he ended up. And, and I was just filled with thankfulness because I thought, I thought about my life. And then I was reminded last night that I got saved this weekend 11 years ago. What a cool picture. So some of you today, maybe you are far from God. Maybe you're in here and you are the closest you've ever been. I'm so thankful for that. Fan the flame. If you're in here and you are in desperate need of grace and you want a relationship with Jesus, we're, we're gonna have a time of worship. And, and th during this time, normally we'd stand and we would worship. You can do that if you want to. But I wanna encourage you, man, just see, stay seated. Get out something to write with, write some things down. And I want you to ask this question, God, would you remind me of what you rescued me from? Would you remind me of where you met me at and, and where I would be today if I didn't have you? I think we forget about the power of the gospel. This is why we exist. Because <laughs> somebody say amen. We can't forget about it. We're gonna sing a song and I say, we, Andrew, you don't want me to sing this. Um, Reckless love is something he's gonna sing in a little bit. And a lot of people disagree about this term reckless because it seems kind of aimless. And there's one thing I know about God is that he is not aimless. The, the word reckless, it means regardless of the consequence, no matter what anyone else would think, no matter the consequence, no matter what, that is the kind of love that he pursues you with. Oh, the overwhelming, reckless love of God. And Andrew's gonna start singing the, the words of a song called Gratitude. And, and this is what I want today. I want every person in this room, every person watching online right now, God is with you, to be overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude because of the power of the gospel. And if you're here today and you wanna put faith in Jesus, this is what the word of God says, that when you, when you turn from your sin, which is repentance, you fix your eyes on Jesus, and you say, I put faith in you that you are my Lord, you are my Savior. I believe in what you did on the cross, that you died for my sins and the sins of humanity. It says you receive the best gift and it's eternal life with him. You become a child of the King. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And I wanna invite you to make that decision today, right here today, you can make that decision. And if you pray that prayer, we wanna know about it so we can rally around you as the church and help you grow in your faith. Let's pray.